I think sometimes we forget how powerful words can be, honestly. We, can, we know that words have power, but they really can change the entire trajectory of our lives. In fact, I mean, think about your life for a second. Think about somebody who was influential in your life, who told you something or encouraged you with something, and you followed it, and it changed everything completely. They had a coach in high school, a soccer coach, and he encouraged my brother, who was a grade older than me, to go to a certain college in Tennessee, and my brother went there thinking that he could uh, play soccer for that university. He didn't make the team, actually, but he still went there. And I followed behind him and went to that school as well. I met my wife there. We have four children. And it changed the complete trajectory of everything about my life because of his words and even some promises that didn't really come through um, when he got there um, it, uh, because my brother went there and then I went there. And think about that for your own life. Well, as we look at the Gospel of John, and we are back in chapter 14, Jesus is giving his, what we call his farewell discourse. This is Jesus's statement. It covers three chapters, and it's only found in the Gospel of John. And in this, Jesus gives amazing words of inspiration, encouragement, but he does so much more than my soccer coach, who even though on his words gave me some great like, uh, advice that ended up being great for me in the long run, but Jesus made promises that were actually came true, and he gave them hope and encouragement and very specific detailed instructions that all allowed them to accomplish what he said that they would accomplish. And so Jesus is a whole different level of the things that he tells us to do because we know that they always come true and they come to pass. If we listen, we pay attention and follow the instructions. And I think this is just an amazing text that just I happened to land on for the first message of 2023, and I hope that it will encourage you as well. So John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. John 14, 12 through 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever." Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray and we'll look at this incredible passage of scripture. Father God, we thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you that today, as we have begun a new year, that your mercies are new for 2023, the regrets, the failures, the things that we wish we had done in previous years. God, you give us opportunity to follow through and to obey and to keep your commandments and to love you more. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the grace that is just being poured out to us constantly through the cross. And I pray today will be an encouragement for us that we might truly obey you and do the work you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here at Grace, we offer some very intentional ways for you to gather and to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There are things that we talk about, and we talk about them for a reason, not so that we can just have programs, but we truly believe in specific opportunities to get us together in community to learn more of the scriptures and to grow. You have Sunday worship that you're part of. I hope that you're part of K-groups. If you're not a part of K-group, I hope this year you'll jump in and get involved in a K-group. We have live prep that meets at 930 across the uh, the road at the, the refuge house, the youth house, where you'll learn deeper theology. We also have just organic fight clubs that meet throughout the community throughout the week for guys and, and ladies to get together for accountability. And so there's opportunities for us to grow together together and to grow together. And in fact, I will, I will say on the, uh, if you were here for the membership meeting, we did a little survey on the bottom of your ballot where we ask how often that you read the scriptures, you're engaged in the scriptures. And it's so encouraging. The results of that survey were super encouraging because it shows me that so many of you don't just went together here, but you're seriously interested in growing. 61% of the people who responded to that said, I read my Bible every day. I'm in the Word every single day. That's pretty good. 61% every day I'm in the Word. And the majority of the people who answered the survey also said that they felt confident in sharing their faith with other people. That's really good news. That means that what we're doing when we're gathering is resulting in the growth that we want to see happen. But there's a third word that goes along with gather and grow that we cannot forget when it comes to our faith and our mission that we've been given by Jesus Christ. And it also starts with the letter G, and that's the word go. We gather, we grow, and we go. And so many times that we can be comfortable gathering because it's easy to gather and it's comfortable to gather and we have padded chairs and we have nice climate-controlled room. It's easy to gather. Growing definitely is harder. It takes you to be in the Word, be in community with intentional growth. But going is tough. It is very difficult because this world is a nasty and difficult place. It it truly is. It's, It's a mean world that we live in. And Jesus tells us for the Christian, it's even worse than for the average person. Jesus tells his disciples, we'll see this in chapter 15, that the world's going to hate them. All right, so go out into this nasty world, in this world that's mean and selfish, and go out there and expect that the world is going to hate you. Why? Because Jesus said, because they hated me first. They hate me, so they're going to hate you. But he goes on to say, and we'll see this when we get there, but it's verse 24. Jesus says the reason that they hate, will hate you is because you are going to point out their sin. You're going to reveal to them their sin. That's not a very good mission, right, in ourselves, naturally, to, to, okay, go out and tell people what they're doing wrong, right? I mean, that's, that's a difficult task in a world that's already mean and nasty and selfish, and then our job is to go and point out their sin. Now, obviously, we're supposed to do that in a very wise manner and in a wise direction and way. But nevertheless, someone cannot see their need for Jesus Christ until they see their sin. They, they don't see, the, why do they need a Savior if they don't see their sin? So our job is to go and leave the safety of the gathering. And Jesus makes it clear it's not going to be easy. And these disciples, just get the picture. We've talked about this. But they're sitting in here in this room with Jesus at this point. It's just the 11 and it's Jesus. 
more than likely. And at this point, he's telling them that he's going to be leaving soon. He's already told them Judas has already left the room, right? He's gone. He tells that Peter, he's going to deny Jesus. And he says that they're going to scatter like sheep without a shepherd when he's taken away. They're just bad things are going to happen initially, right? Initially, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult for you because you're going to think that your shepherd has gone away and you're going to feel like that you've been abandoned and left alone. But in this farewell discourse, he comforts them by telling them several things. One that we saw last week in the text, we saw that he says, I'm going away, but I'm not forgetting about you because actually I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, right? I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's kind of funny, side note, right? Not in my notes here, but funny that the King James translates a mansions, like I'm going away and preparing a mansion for you. And it's amazing how we are so selfish. For years, Christianity, we focused in on the mansion, right? The mansion that I'm getting over the hilltop, right? On the hilltop. And that's not the point at all that Jesus is making. In fact, the word mansion is a terrible translation there. There's, there he's going and he's preparing a place for us. And he's saying, I've got you covered, all right? I, you are going, I'm going away, you're going to be here, but I'm preparing a place for you one day that you'll join me. So that's the point he's getting at. And then he says three things in this text today. He says, in my absence, Jesus says, you are going to do greater things than I've done. So imagine the disciples hearing that. He says, in my absence, when I go away, you're going to do greater than the things that I've done. All right, I can imagine them scratching their heads saying, Jesus, you've done some pretty amazing things. We've tried to do some things. Some things worked out, some things don't. We, we don't really see that coming true, but Jesus promises that. He also promises that whatever they ask in his name, he's going to do it. And he says that he's not going to leave them alone. He's going to send the helper who will always, always be with them. So let's look at each one of these three one by one. And I think these are perfect for us to just take away, add to our daily prayer list, and truly, truly remind ourselves of these things every day, and it will change our attitude about going and taking the gospel. So, number one, in his absence, his disciples will do greater works than he. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, Jesus is saying this. He's saying it's a fact. It's going to happen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Now, that's a pretty massive, bold claim right there. And this is not about contra contrasting the, the miracles and the works of Jesus with the miracles and works of his followers. Sometimes we can get our perspectives wrong on that. This is really a focus on Jesus. And Jesus is saying his post-glorification works, meaning after he goes back to heaven to prepare that place, his post-glorification works will be greater than his pre-glorification works. So you get, you get that? It removes the emphasis of off of us. Oh, wow, we're going to do greater things than Jesus. And it removes it off of us, and it puts it back on him that he's going to do the greater things, not us. It's through his work, his power. So I think well-meaning Christians in churches get focused, uh, focused in on the works and the gifts and the abilities, but downplay Jesus. So Jesus is inviting us to join him in doing the greater works that he will continue to do on this earth. And so another thing that it's important to recognize in this, this is not God signing a blank check for miraculous power to do anything you want to do in faith, right? If you just have enough faith, God just gives you a blank check, just sign it, 
And sadly, many television evangelists with their long healing lines have put on this circus show for people and for money, saying, making these promises that just don't happen, don't come true. And Grace Church, we reject the teaching that God always wills to, ha- to heal people. And we believe, and we talked about this in our membership class, we don't believe that blessing always equals healthy, wealthy, you know, kind of thing. That, that's not the prosperity. We don't preach the prosperity gospel here. We believe that God can do anything that he wants to do, but our faith in him doesn't waver if he doesn't do what we expect him to do. If he doesn't give us what we think should happen, our faith doesn't waver one bit in him. He's sovereign, we're not. So this is one of the key beliefs that separates us from a lot of people out there who preach a gospel that says it's all about me and prosperity and what I want in this life. So we believe that God has given spiritual gifts and he's given unique spiritual gifts for each one of us to use so God can accomplish his purpose through us. In Ephesians 3.20, Paul actually says that God is able to do far more abundantly than what we even ask or think according to the power at work within us. And so oftentimes, Preachers like myself, we use these verses and spend a lot of time debunking all the bad theology out there. But let's just really think for a second what the, the, the value that Jesus puts on faith and how important faith is. And as we've seen throughout the gospel, when people respond in faith, really amazing things happen. But we do reject the fact that just having enough faith is what it's all about, right? Just believe and Jesus is going to do what you expect him to do. All right, we need to really think through this for a second. What's he talking about? Greater works than him, all right? Jesus, we saw, raised Lazarus from the dead. All right, has anyone ever seen someone raised from the dead? Probably not, right? I mean, I can say for sure not. That hasn't happened, all right? So if Jesus did this amazing work of raising the dead, then we've not seen that happen. We know he's capable of it, but he must not be talking about, when he says greater works, he must not be talking about maybe in how amazing these works are. What does he mean? Let's read the verse again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Greater works than these, and as you see Acts play out in the New Testament and and what happens with the early church and the growth of the church, these greater works have to refer to the quantity of the works, not the quality of the works. Does that make sense? The quantity of the works, how incredible the, the groups and the people and the cultures changed as a result of the gospel. Because Jesus's ministry was primarily focused to a very, very, very small part of the world, the nation of Israel. He clearly said that his ministry was to the people of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. That's what Jesus' ministry was about. But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, the church just explodes. It just blows up like crazy. Jesus is gone. Numerical growth happens. Just The church goes throughout the world. So these greater works will be greater in their worldwide scope and will result in the salvation and the transformation of entire cultures and societies. So it's amazing the extent that the gospel went and what God can do 
through his people. And so I don't want that to be a negative, like, oh, man, you know, it's, see, there's some caveat there. It's not really greater works. It is. It's, it's, it's incredible, the power of the gospel and what it's accomplished. And we're just so used to it, we've grown up with it, that we fail to see that how quickly the gospel spread across the known world. And the fact that we're sitting here today discussing, preaching, and talking from the Bible is amazing. From 11 guys sitting in the upper room hearing so much more than a pep talk or a motivational talk, they're being, being equipped, being prepared to do the unthinkable. Yet we oftentimes, we just don't believe that God can really do the incredible through us. I talk to people all the time, and, and, and this is great. I, I mean, I'm not doing this as a negative at all, but people will say, you know, I have a friend at work, or I have this person who's a relative, and I really think, Pastor John, you should, you, you should talk to them. And, and that's great. You have a heart for somebody who you love, who you're ministering to. But they always say, well, because I know that you'll, you just know the right things to say. You know the perfect things to say. Look, it's amazing the amount of biblical knowledge you probably have without even realizing it. I, I've said this before, but if you take all the time most of you have been in a church service and you translate that to college credits, most of you are sitting out there with a doctor's degree in ministry or, or biblical studies, right? I mean, you've been to a lot of church services, a lot of K groups, a lot of live prep use, a lot of Bible study. You've been to a lot of stuff. You know way more than you give yourself credit. And then, as we're going to see in a minute, the Holy Spirit is going to take your knowledge and use it specifically in the gift set that he's given you to minister in ways that I may not be able to minister to someone in a situation. God has put you in the exact place, location, and he's given you everything you need for a life of holiness and godliness through Christ Jesus. That's what scripture says. And so we trust the Holy Spirit. We're going to see we pray and seek God for power and we step out in faith. We step out in faith. And that's the hard part. As I said, the world is tough. It's difficult. It's not going to be received well. I was thinking about just my street, Majestic Avenue, all right? Majestic Avenue. How many people in the time that I've lived there have died on my street? It's unreal. I mean, I was counting like eight or nine, ten people just in, in a short period of time. It's been a lot of people who have passed away. One lady drowned. Both my neighbors on each side uh, passed away. And there's a mission field right there in, on just a few houses. This is not a huge neighborhood, not a huge street. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can prompt you and I to do things and minister to things that we don't need to bring our, our pastor over because God has equipped you and prepared you to do those things with your neighbor. He's put you in that position. You build a relationship. It's time to go and tell. And I think about my one neighbor on the one side. I, I just felt super compelled to share some kind of gospel truth with him back five or six years ago. And, and I kept avoiding it. And I'm like, uh, you know, they kind of go to church and, you know, they know, probably know stuff. And, and finally, one day, I just like, okay, God, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm just going to say, you know, and I began to say, hey, you know, you got to really think through it. This life is not all there is, you know, what's next? And, and I had this conversation with no idea that just in a very short period of time, he would have an aneurysm and die. And so the point is, God has put people around you, and he's equipped you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you this commission. He says you can do greater things. You can do more than what you can even imagine if you're willing to step out in faith and do it. 
And so here's what we need to do. This is, is about as practical as you can get. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So he's saying to the disciples, when you go out, as I leave and go away to prepare a place, and as you go out into this difficult and nasty world that hates you, ask me. Just when you're ready, like you see an assignment, you see something you need to do, ask me. I'm going to help you do this. I mean, is that not about as basic and practical? I'm going away, but still just ask me to help you. Ask God to do it for the name and the glory of God. Sadly, like the other verse we looked at, many people have turned this into something for their own personal well-being, their selfish interests, their selfishness, you know, God, give me this or that, name it and claim it. You know those type of uh, churches and people who just want to take it and use it for their own selfish interest. But the key for interpreting this verse is the qualifier that Jesus gives. He says that the request must be made in my name. And again, this isn't just throwing a little bit of Jesus names on it, and all of a sudden, then God's you know, in your debt to do whatever you ask him to do. Our family loves to watch the show Andy Griffith, those old reruns. You guys, probably many of you know and like that show. And I love Barney's enthusiasm and, you know, how that many times he gets himself in a pickle because he's, you know, just saying things and doing things. And he, and he, and he goes out in the street one episode and he, said, he says, stop in the name of the law. He, he wants him to stop and he says, in the name of the law. You've heard that expression before, right? So the implication is he's speaking with the approval of, of a greater power. Stop in the name of the law. But what if a police officer, you're in a restaurant and the police officer walks over to you and he says, Michael, buy my lunch in the name of the law, all right? Not going to do it, right? Buy my lunch in the name of the law. You laugh at him because you know that, that just using that phrase doesn't guarantee that he's going to get whatever he wants to get. And so you can only ex- use that authority and expect results when you act according to the will of the law. And so that's a good example of in the name of Jesus. doesn't mean that it just brings down extra power. You're working on the behalf of Jesus, what Jesus is about, what Jesus is doing, I'm joining you in that. Greater works than these you're going to do. There's a big scope that now that you have the gospel, you have the cross, you have the resurrection, you have the glorification of Christ, you have the gospel in your hands to take, and now you just pray and ask in the name of Christ, what are you doing? And I'm going to take this gospel, I'm going to use it for your glory and your honor, for the Father's glory. So whatever you ask in my name, This I will do, why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Is what you're asking for the glory of God, or is it just for your own selfish interest? God, what are you doing? And so just practically, we just remove our selfish agendas from the situation. As we begin to pray, say, God, do I want this? Is this selfish? Is it for me? Is it about my agenda? Or is this really what you're about, what you're doing, God? Is, is this for your kingdom and your glory, or is it just for me? Because I want to live for your glory. And in our hearts are, as Roy pointed out last week, I mean, there's, there, we have this double-minded uh, just way of thinking. Many times we think that we are following God, and we know there's this selfish agenda that's underneath the surface. And the Holy Spirit will expose that and help us see that. But the best we can, God, your will be done. I'm not looking for my will to be done in this situation. I want your will to be done. And I remove that, and I'm able to focus on what God wants me to do. And I can pray confidently, God, 
I need you to do this in Jesus' name because I'm confident this is what you want me to do. I love 19th century missionary Hudson Taylor. He said this. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked him if I might help him. Finally, I ended up asking him to do his work in me and through me if he would be so pleased. And that's what I'm talking about. That we have to give ourselves a heart check and just really search our heart and say, what are we about? Are we about being ambassadors for God's kingdom? He's sent us out. He's given us everything we need. But is that our priority to truly, truly reflect him in every situation that I'm in? That's hard. It's difficult from a personal side. And then the resistance that we receive from the world is very tough and we should expect it. And it's hard stuff. But I think verse 15 may feel like at first it's kind of stuck in there. Like, what's he, what, how does this fit? Look at it. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll desire to do my will. You'll desire to do what I want you to do. You see, sometimes we look at commandments, and we honestly, don't we, our, our minds default to commandments, rules, Here's the things we're supposed to do and not do, and it's mostly not do. And it's about just focus completely, which is good, but it's focused just completely on morality and holiness. And it's so important that we are holy as God is holy, and that we live lives that are just are above reproach, as Scripture talks about. But commandments are more than just the thou shalt nots. They're also the things that we should be about. And God's will. So look at it like this. God's will. I want to be about your will, your business. So Jesus says, if you love me, if you truly love me, you'll desire to do my will. Remember, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has constantly set that example for us by saying, I only do what I see the Father's doing. If the Father's doing it, then I'm joining the Father. I do what the Father does. Did he need to tell us that for his own benefit? No, absolutely not. He and his father were one. He tells us that for our benefit so that we can see the example of the relationship that he had with his father and how that he desired wholeheartedly, 100% to do what God wanted him to do. And we know, again, that our motives are so oftentimes mixed. Our agendas are so scattered and out there. And that's why it's important for us to just pray and say, God, I, I do love you. And, and the reflection of 61% of you saying, I'm in the word every day. You love, you're growing, you love Jesus. But say, Jesus, I desire to do your will. And I want those areas of my life where I'm scared to really commit to you. Or I'm wondering what my life might look like if I truly, truly just lived all, every day, everything for God's glory. What would that look like? What would I miss out on? And those fears that you have begin to just turn those over to God. And so he will give us everything we need. But again, it's not going to be easy, and the world's going to hate you for it. So look at this again. Look at verse 15 through 17 together now. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus tells his disciples that if they love him, they're going to want to keep his commandments, they're going to follow his will, and it's going to be difficult, it's going to be virtually, I mean, impossible on our own, but he says, it's okay that you feel like you can't do this on your own, because I know you can't do it on your own, so I'm going to send you a helper, the helper, 
who's going to be in you, all right? He's going to give us the Holy Spirit to reside in us to give us the desire and the motivation and the equipping we need to fulfill the will of God. And so Jesus is going to send another helper. I love that expression, another helper, because the disciples hearing this, they would have known that Jesus was their helper. Like like everything that's happened in their lives for the last three years has revolved around Jesus. And they were just, as we've talked about many times, they were just a confused oftentimes bunch who Jesus could tell them straight out, here's what I want. Here's my job for you. Here's the way that you live in my kingdom. And they turn around two seconds later and they're talking and doing the exact opposite of that. And so they understand they needed a helper, right? Jesus helped them stay focused on the Father. He helped them grow. He helped them learn. Now Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm sending you another helper. And this other helper is going to be able to do greater things through you than what even I have been able to do through you. Because something's going to drastically change after the cross and the resurrection. And you're going to get this helper to go and spread this gospel message. That's the whole reason Jesus came. That was his purpose was to come and to die on the cross. And now he says, you're going to go and you're going to take this message. And I'm going to give you a helper, a comforter, an advocate, a counselor. Your translation may say various things. We're not going to have time to fully break this down today. And in fact, Jesus is going to return to the Holy Spirit and put a great emphasis here later in this chapter on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to come back and revisit some of these terms that are used for the Holy Spirit and really what the Holy Spirit works and does in our life because it's very difficult to have an English translation that helps understand this idea of, of helper, if that's what your translation says. It's a, it's a very, very broad term and it's a unique term. And so Jesus, when he comes back to this, he's going to give us more and more detail on this. But it's clear from both John 7.39 and John 16.7 in our text today that something amazing is going to happen, and it hasn't happened yet in their, their lives. Look at the last verse. He says, he, he says, you know him, for he dwells with you. And that's what the Holy Spirit has been throughout the Old Testament for people like Moses and Elijah and David. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them to do things. And the disciples as well. Jesus says, the, you've had the Holy Spirit with you. He's been empowering you. He comes and goes and gives you this power to do these incredible things. But he says, not only here, but like I said, a few other times within this book, that the Holy Spirit, after his resurrection and glorification, the Holy Spirit is going to take up residency in them in some mysterious way that I have no way of explaining with words, that the Holy Spirit is in us, those who put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the key to understanding his power and authority. Paul said it this way, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so you look at these guys like Moses and Elijah and David, and you see the incredible things that they were able to accomplish in their life with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, okay, greater things, when I leave, greater things that you're going to do. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And he's going to give you more than what Moses and Elijah and David had. Do we believe that? You want to visit faith for a second? Do you believe that to be true? Because if you and I believe that to be true, it changes everything about the way we live our lives. Fear? Not going to be as big a deal. Yeah, we'll still have that emotion, but we won't be controlled by it. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, Scripture says. 
So there's this compelling person, not a force, a person that in some way mysteriously lives within the believer that allows us to accomplish the will of God. And Jesus said, if, if you don't believe it, if you, don't, if you don't think it's possible, pray to me. Ask me anything, right? Ask me in my name, and I'll do it. I'll show you what's going to happen. And I can imagine, again, Peter and John and, and the other Judas that didn't betray, betray him and the other disciples are sitting there and they're thinking, I don't know about this. And then when Jesus is taken in the garden and they all scatter like Jesus says, they're probably thinking, okay, for sure that's not happening. And they stay at a distance. Many of them run away. But what happens when Jesus raises again from the dead and he goes back into heaven and he leaves them the Great Commission? They go out with a power and authority never known to humanity. And they preach, and just in one day, 3,000 people come to Jesus. When Jesus was there preaching, did 3,000 people come to him? Probably not, at least not sincere faith. So greater things. And these guys just continue to preach through the power of the Holy Spirit and baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit. And amazing things happen, and the church grows. That's the same Holy Spirit that each one of us who have Jesus as our Savior and Lord have within us. There's no reason in 2023 to live a small life. There's no reason to let fear or insecurity or lack of knowledge stop you from doing the will of God. And those of us who are wired that we don't like people being against us, we like the approval of people, we need to keep reminding ourselves being hated by the world is, that's just to be expected. You're going to be hated. You point out sin, you're going to be hated. And we've got to be okay with that. So let's recap, head, heart, and hands. So we gather and we grow, and we know that the Spirit equips us for ministry to obey God's Word. All the Word that we're learning when we gather and we grow, we're learning it. The Holy Spirit uses this Word to help us when we go. So the Holy Spirit, we, we know the Holy Spirit is taking this and he's using it. And this fellowship and this partnership that we have with God, as he said, is a love relationship. It's a relationship of love. And as you meet with God, 61% who meet with Jesus every single day, don't forget this is a love relationship that you're cultivating with Jesus Christ. And you're obeying him because you love him. And as a result of you love him, you're going to keep his commandments and you're going to go and want to do his will. And the helper comes and, he, and he's there to empower you and give you everything you need. And so here's the hands application today. Ask God to do something consistent with the will and nature of Jesus in your life. Ask him, I, I'm being serious, ask him to do something. God, do something th through me. If we would pray that prayer and begin to pray that prayer God, just do something through me. I can't imagine what would change on our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our town, and even in the world. I honestly believe that. I believe that if we would just do something consistent with the will and nature of Jesus. We gather, yes, we, Jesus said we had to gather together. We need each other. And we grow in our love for him through his word. But we can't leave off the last part, which is to go. Go in the highways and byways.
and compel them to come in. There's room in my house, Jesus said. That's our commission. Will we do it or we just continue to gather and grow? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the start of a new year and thank you for this text that is really what we need to remind us that we can easily default to being just the holy huddle, the frozen chosen just coming in and sitting and hearing and walking away and nothing really changes, God. And I pray you'll help us to step out in faith knowing that the things that we step out in faith to do is where you meet us because we can do a lot of stuff on our own abilities. But when we do stuff that's beyond our ability, that's where you meet us and that's where you receive glory. And God, may we remember that today in this month of January and throughout this year and throughout a lifetime. And God, I pray that you will do great and mighty things through us because we believe that you can change hearts and you can change lives because you changed us. And God, I pray that you'll help us to go and to tell. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.